All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the John Q. Public Podcast Show. This is episode number 11. It is good to have you with us. All right. So, you know, as I as I wanted with this show, we're going to cover different, topic, different topics and stuff like that. And I think a, a, a topic which this will not be for everybody, obviously, if you saw the, you know, the title of this episode, you might have tuned out automatically. If it wasn't for you, I'm sorry. Um, you know, but maybe it's worth a listen anyway, because you never know what you'll pick up, talking points, etc. But yeah, so I want to talk about particularly golf equipment and you know, maybe we'll touch on the whole live golf thing, PGA Tour kind of where golf is and everything. And I'm sure, you know, many people are probably wondering why, like, (laughs) why discuss this topic? What does this have to do with anything? Well, I want the show to be, you know, more than just politics or religion or, you know, just news or any of that stuff. Why not just have, you know, some other topics and things built into it? So we'll dive into some of that. Um, but let's let's kind of talk about this. So number one, and, you know, I don't know if it's most important, but for the time being, we could say that it is. The, you know, the, the hottest topic in golf right now is the golf ball. And the USGA, the United States Golf Association, and the R and A, which is the Royal and Ancient Golf Association out of Scotland, have for a period of time now been looking at the significant increases in distance that are occurring across the board. And it's not just at the highest levels on, you know, the PGA Tour and professional golf. It's really, you know, in general. Now, it doesn't it doesn't impact the low end of the spectrum as much because even though guys could hit it farther, the one thing that I think a lot of people forget is, you know, distance can be a negative thing. And what I mean by that is that when when we look at the uh, dynamics of how the golf club is delivered to the golf ball, and let's focus on driver for a second because that's the longest club in the bag that hits the ball the farthest, um, the, the, the impact zone there, as things transpire and the ball is impacted by the face of the club and then takes off and, you know, and goes out. One of the things that can be a huge issue is that, sure, you could hit the ball farther forward, away from yourself, but you have also brought into the equation with the advancements and changes in technology where clubs are longer, lighter, people swing faster, et cetera, et cetera, there is this propensity where things can go farther offline. The ability to hit it farther offline is higher with a driver which is lower lofted and longer than, say, a 7 or 8 iron, which has much more loft 
and it is much shorter than what a driver is. So players at the highest level obviously are much more accurate. They're better trained, etc., etc. So the ability to hit the ball farther with the driver and obviously the other clubs in the bag, but we'll focus on the driver at the moment. Um, it's easier for them to do so. They're more efficient. They, you know, have better transfer of energy, all that stuff. So we've arrived at this point where we are like a, a victim of our own success with the game sport of golf. Guys at the highest level are hitting the ball as far as we've ever seen them hit it. Now, that's due in part to physical conditioning. Guys are stronger, golf strong, stronger now than they were 30, 40, 50 years ago. Guys understand how to be more efficient, how to generate more power. They are swinging faster and they're training to specifically be able to do that versus, you know, if you look at, let's use Jack Nicholas's era as an example, this was much more a, you know, it was a finesse game. It wasn't the, the distance monster that it is right now. And so we look at things like this has led us to a conversation about the golf ball. Now, I don't inherently believe that the golf ball is the issue. I will state that. Do I believe that what the USGA and RNA are trying to accomplish is a good thing? Overall, the idea of taking the golf ball and under their under their testing parameters making it so that it doesn't fly as far. Is that a good thing? I do think that's a good thing. Um, but the problem that this is causing is that they're looking at the sport game of golf in this idea of a bifurcation or having a different set of competition conditions for elite levels of golf versus recreational play or you know lower levels of amateur tournaments etc which i believe is a disaster there's not with the exception of some differences in sport with men's and women's and college and pros with certain things not the equipment right? Men's and women's, uh, let's use basketball, right? Women, yes, they use a slightly smaller ball. Okay. Um, but kind of in regards to the men's and women's game, women play a shorter golf course. Okay. Same kind of thing in, you know, college and professional baseball. We do have some differences in, you know, you could look at things like uh, met- aluminum or metal materials with bats in college baseball versus wood 
in the pros. Okay, so there's not, you know, well, in, you know, college basketball, the three-point arc is, you know, a little bit closer to the basket than it is the pros and some of these other things. So when we look at some of the differences here, it's not necessarily unprecedented what the USGA and the RNA want to institute. And I don't think it's a necessarily an inherently bad thing. I don't think it's the way that they should be going, but we'll roll with it. Um, it's encouraging to hear players like Rory McIlroy say that he believes this, you know, this is a good thing. So when we look at it at the end of the day, the idea here, the concept behind it is that if players at the highest levels are hitting the ball shorter, it then provides some relief for course architecture and length of course. As we all know, the longer a golf course is, the more resources it takes to maintain it. And that is stressful from a budget standpoint. It's stressful from, you know, from, from an agronomy standpoint, cart paths, you know, all these different things. And so there are some good aspects to it. I, I've always believed that there there is no reason for a, a golf course. Maybe if they were at elevation, we could put an asterisk here. But there's no reason for a golf course. Even at the highest level, PGA Tour and major championships, it, there's no reason for a golf course to be longer than 7,200 yards. It, to me, is absolutely obscene that that needs to exist to see courses like you know Augusta National that have been absolutely butchered over time in my opinion that since Tiger Woods won it in 1997 when it was like 6,900 yards or what it, it was just a shade under 7,000 and now they can stretch it out to 7,500 yards it's absurd there's absolutely no reason for it and if you look at the you know if you look at scores and stuff over time even with the lengthening of golf courses there's no reason for it and i will i will refer to i think a great example so this was 2013 i think it was the u.s open at at marion uh cricket club in pennsylvania and justin rose won and that golf course measured seven thousand yards Actually, I think it was like 60, it was 69 something, but call it, you know, 7,000. And it stood up because of design and, and different things. And, you know, I'm getting a little sidetracked here. But of course, architecture would lean itself to making players hit precise shots. They wouldn't need 7,500 yards. That's the problem with Augusta National is there's, almost nothing in the way of the players off the tee on the par fours and fives. And you look at many U.S. Open courses, there's not much off the tee. The defense, number one, is how fast and undulating the green complexes are when we look at a lot of these courses like, you know, Pebble Beach and whatnot. But it's one of those things where the increase in distance particularly with driver not so much the other clubs but particularly with driver 
and the way that they keep data nowadays, yeah, it has, you know, the length has neutralized some classic design. So I, I get that, you know, the idea here is to, to hone or to rein in some of the distance. Now, how do we do this? Well, certainly forcing manufacturers to design golf balls differently is a way to go. Um, I've always been an advocate for, you know, if you want to limit distance, force players to utilize a ball with lower compression. Because if the golf ball gets over compressed, it doesn't fly as far. That's certainly one way to do it. So you could mandate it. Um, I've always been a big proponent for everybody playing the same ball at an event. Same as any other sport. Everybody uses the same ball. And I get that people argue that the individuality of golf is a fantastic thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that the individual aspect of golf isn't a good thing. I do think it's a good thing. It's what makes it unique in a lot of ways. But having a standardized tournament ball, I really wish that, you know, that would be the case. And it probably never will be because there's too many lobbyists in golf that would say, you know, he wants to play Titleist. He wants to play Callaway, da, 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 da. And, you know, that's fine. It is what it is. But it'd be very interesting if everybody was forced to play the same ball and it was regulated. Just like, you know, you look at like NFL, NBA, that kind of stuff. They have game balls. They're regulated. Same with tennis. Tennis is a little more flexibility there. You know, the server can pick and choose what ball they want to, like, use of the balls that are available, that kind of thing. Anyway, so we could look at, you know, change of composition of the golf ball and et cetera. Now, what are some other things that would be better? Well, you know, number one, I think that uh, length of of drivers, them dialing back from 48 to 46 inches, I think was good. I personally would like to see it go even less. I'd like to see it go down to 45 as as a requirement. There's no reason for anything to be longer than that. I would like to see some some changes with the driver from the standpoint of it would be nice to see them you know say hey the size of the driver should be shrunk i believe that 400 cc's is plenty big enough now i've used 460 cc drivers a lot and they work, but I've also used, you know, one of the best ones ever was the, the Cleveland Launcher 400. And that thing still goes to this day. I hit that one on and off. And so there's some changes there. We've got some changes in fairway metal technology. Guys are hitting those things 300 yards, which is crazy. I wish that they would dial that back in and have a test for how hot three woods are that would be a huge part of it with dialing you know with with dialing things back um 
you know, looking, I use an example here. So the Ryder Cup back in 2002, I think it was 02 at the Belfry. It was 02 or 03, whatever it was. And looking at some of the yardages that guys were hitting, and they're hitting, you know, say they've got 190 to 200 yards, and guys are hitting, say, four iron. Well, nowadays, that's a, you know, a seven iron for a lot of guys, maybe. And the problem is everything's been manipulated to where the irons nowadays, the material that's there, a lot of these clubs are not solid pieces of metal. They're multiple pieces that are welded together, and it creates more of a spring-like effect. Okay, We've lost a lot of the craftsmanship that the player is required to demonstrate. And so instead of having to hit a four iron that is either, you know, a blade or a solid, you know, metal cavity back at a traditional loft. And what people have to remember is like if we go back, let's say 20 years ago, okay, your standard four iron out on tour would have been 25 degrees. And the problem that we have now is that all these claws, and like your your pitching wedge then would have been 48, 49 degrees. All the irons now are half an inch longer than they used to be. And they're anywhere from three to six degrees stronger. And this leads to guys with also the new technologies and everything in these irons. And distance has gotten out of hand. Now, Bryson DeChambeau argues that everybody wants to see tour players hit the ball farther. I vehemently disagree. I want to see the guys not hit it any more than 300 yards and then have to hit a four iron from 190 yards instead of bombing it 360 and having a nine iron in like that you know like save long drive for the long drive circuit or every week maybe you know build in an hour or two of skills challenges or whatever but bringing everything back by changing certain parameters I don't believe the ball is the primary culprit here. I don't. It's the change in technology, things like MOI, which is moment of inertia, which is essentially, you can kind of think of that as like off-center hits and different things, much more stable. Again, the iron technology and, and all this stuff. And it's all added up to overall this giant leap in distance overall for a lot of players, not for everybody, but a lot of players at the top end of sport. So, again, we've got a few different remedies. I, it's really challenging because the governing bodies, which 
you know, I, I think I look at it at this point, like if PGA Tour players have such a big issue with how the USGA and RNA want to handle their business and how those governing bodies want to do things and want to protect the integrity of the game, why doesn't the PGA Tour just do its own thing? And what I mean by that is why doesn't the PGA Tour then just have its own rules or do its own, you know, do its own governance or whatever. Phil Mickelson has always complained that I think he said we're the only professional sport that's governed by amateurs. And you know, like if if the PGA Tour has that big of an issue and the manufacturers have that big of an issue, why not just come out and say, well, we don't agree with that. We're going to do our own thing on our events. You do your own thing with your events, whatever it might be. That's that's a really easy fix. Just do your own thing. Quit complaining about it is how, is how I really look at it. I firmly believe that dialing back technology is a great thing. And could you imagine, think of this. What if they, and I really wish that they would do this, what if they had an event where you had no graphite allowed, only solid, like single piece iron heads, no hybrids, you could have fairway metals, again, but no no graphite at all for anything. And everybody's irons get checked. They have to be traditional lofts within a degree. So if traditional loft for a three iron is 22 degrees, the most you could get away with is 21. Everybody's equipment gets checked. And then everybody's required to play a balada ball, like the old title is professional or something like that. And have everybody... Oh, and also... Driver head size can't be over 400 cc's. And have everybody go play Augusta National or a U.S. Open. Or even even a regular tour course like Colonial down in Texas. Think about how cool that would be. And think about how, how separated the best players would be who are pure ball strikers Rory McIlroy comes to mind I think Scotty Scheffler would do really well in that environment Xander Shoffley and some of these other you know top tier guys from a ball striking standpoint but it technology was allowed to change and go along changing for such a, a long period of time without any significant parameters put in play for limitations that now you're trying to play catch up or now you, you know, you got to rip the bandaid off or whatever it might be. And we've got some issues. So it's really interesting to to think about from an equipment standpoint. I I believe distance is out of hand. That's just me. I think that a 300-yard drive 
should be a really good thing under normal PGA Tour and high, you know, and like regular golf, like long drive, cool. Let them have 48 inches, let them do whatever they want. You know, that that is literally just trying to see how far we can hit the ball. Golf itself, whether it's PGA Tour or whether it's a guy who's a 30 handicap, golf itself should be about hitting shots, and it should never be about how far can we hit it. Sure, it's, you know, it's fun to hit it longer. I don't think anybody would disagree with that, but golf should have some some artwork to it. It should have some finesse to it. And yeah, the vast majority of people can't hit the ball 300 yards. You know, the vast majority of male golfers are, you know, are higher handicap. They struggle with it. It doesn't matter. But as time has gone on and the elite level professionals have become significantly more skilled than what they used to be, and the technology has made it significantly easier for them. Let's not forget how much easier PGA Tour golf is now than it was back in 1975 when Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer were in their heyday. Like, let's not forget how much easier it is for Rory McIlroy with the tailor-made Stealth 2 graphite shaft, dialed-in adjustable hosel, you know, whatever technology is built into that versus what if these guys had to play with a Titleist 975D with a steel shaft for 72 holes? Like, honestly, you know, you can't tell me that that would be significantly more challenging, which would be a benefit. That's what I would rather see. That's why the U.S. Open historically has been so rewarding to watch because the the best all-around player for the week wins. They got to have it all. And it's not about just distance at that point. Like, your whole game's got to be working. Sure. If you can hit it farther than everybody else and be reasonably accurate, yeah, that's that's helpful, certainly. But it's not just about that, you know. And, and so I want to touch on a couple of things here while we got a few more minutes. So right now in golf, there is this issue with live golf, as, you know, really anybody who follows golf has heard about this for the last couple of years in the PGA Tour and the European Tour and some of this other stuff. And... It's really disheartening to me to see how the PGA Tour has gone about this and how Live Golf, I do think, can be a really good thing for the golf ecosystem. But the PGA Tour has gone about this in like a really, I don't know, negative way, I guess, you know, the best way to put it. If Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods and a lot of these other guys want to be staunch supporters of the PGA Tour, that's fine, right? You're, 
you're in a position where you know you're either Tiger Woods and you don't need money and you've you know you've done everything that you're gonna do in golf or you're Rory McIlroy and you're winning and you're super successful on the tour so of course you love it okay but Live Golf came along and provided the golf ecosystem with a new product and what's wrong with that like there should not be anything wrong with that the PGA Tour should have embrace this as an opportunity to say okay we can actually improve what we're doing by taking the approach of less is more here's what i mean by that so yes the pga tour wants to give its members ample opportunity to play and that's fine they can do that but the pga tour also diluted its product and it's a victim of the growth that you know that occurred over time so the pga tour would benefit by having less events and the pga tour would benefit by not having a schedule that goes for so many months if you look at all all these other professional sports like mainstream in the united states they all have a start and an end date and that's it they don't have these like extra things going on and the pga tour could have embraced this and brought live into its ecosystem as this alternative and here's what i mean by that so the pga tour reasonably should run from january to august that's eight months and if you can't, for a season, figure out who your best players are in, in eight months, I, I don't know what you're doing. And then, of course, you have the Ryder Cup and you have the President's Cup. They go in opposite years. And traditionally, those take place in, you know, like October or whatever. And that's, you know, that's fine. Okay. Live Golf could have been brought in to the PGA Tour ecosystem with these four other months that are available and sure if they want to sprinkle in something here or there whatever if we look at other sports there are so many other subsidiary leagues or tournaments or whatever that happen i don't see how the pga tour could reasonably think that live golf is a bad thing because the PGA tour is going to get what it's going to get. And there's a lot left over at the table. So why not take the approach of bringing them into your ecosystem and utilizing their platform as something different, like, you know, the PGA Tour Live Series, or whatever you want to call it. And instead, they go down this road of, you know, essentially, how dare you go about doing this? And then, to compound things, okay, I get that certain players like Phil Mickelson 
Sergio Garcia and some of these other guys might have bitterness towards the tour, things that happen, etc. Right? They didn't help any of this either by making disparaging comments about the PGA Tour, etc., etc. So it's this whole mess. I I believe that this could have all worked really well together. And Live Golf could have been brought in to the PGA Tour ecosystem and been very much a world exposure platform. And the PGA Tour could have taken the opportunity to say, hey, so this is actually really good. We can take Lee Westwood or Sergio Garcia or Henrik Stenson or whoever, and we can take say, maybe up-and-coming amateurs that can't quite get to the tour yet, or we can reach into other professional tours in other areas of the world and provide this platform. And that's what the PGA Tour should have done. They should have embraced this, because if they would have embraced it, they could have brought it into their ecosystem and had control of what was going on, but instead pushed it out. So I hope that there's a lesson to be learned here because this could have worked really, really well. Yes, it's a different format. It's 54 holes, no cut, shotgun start. It's unique. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. And the PGA Tour could have turned this into something really good within its own ecosystem. They could have even done thing like special events, opposite field events, whatever it might be. I've always wanted the PGA Tour to do like three weeks on, one week off kind of thing, or have that, you know, say whatever that week might be, you know, per month or or however they wanted to do it. And that's like a fun week to give people some entertainment value, you know, for a day or two or three, you know, whatever you want to do, that it could have fit into the PGA Tour ecosystem. And that's really what I wish they would have done. But, you know, is what it is. Is is the state of professional golf in a bad way right now? It is. Because instead of the PGA Tour bringing live golf and that concept into their ecosystem, they have started to alienate a lot of the membership of their own tour. They've created a lot of division They've created this mindset with the players who are the highest performers, at least maybe not everybody, but probably for a substantial portion of them, that they're entitled to special treatment, that they get access to these no-cut events with bigger purses and all this stuff, and they want like this special treatment. And I think that's the wrong approach to to have with it. And, you know, only time will tell what's going to happen here. But, you know, we'll have, I guess we'll have a follow-up with this as, you know, maybe as some things change and, and whatnot. But some food for thought. Maybe think, you know, think for yourself about, you know, if, if you're a... If you happen to be a tour player listening to this, 
if you, you know, if you're a high handicap amateur, if you're a weekend warrior, you know, if you play competitive amateur events at your local level or, or whatever it is, think about some of this. And, you know, really question about like where golf is right now and, and what's going on and, and all that stuff. And maybe, you know, maybe there's a proper solution to this all and it just hasn't come up yet. Or, you know, if you're, if you're part of the USJ and you're listening to this and I, and I can be of help, Hey, reach out to me. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm happy to help. But, um, yeah, anyway, so that's been another episode of the John Q public podcast show. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and we'll talk to you later.